Um, welcome to this new edition of the Visions and Tones podcast. In this podcast, we're talking more about artificial intelligence, data, data science, and all sorts of things. And uh, my guest today is Dr. Humphrey Obia from Nigeria. Dr. Humphrey is a research fellow at the Faculty of Information Technology at Monash University. Um, he holds a PhD in computer science and MSc in data science and a BSc in computer science. So there's a number of things today that we'll talk about with Dr. Obia, but we, we're just going to see how we're going to wing this through. Dr. Obia, uh, welcome to the Visions and Tones podcast. How are you doing? Um, very well, thank you. Um, thanks, um, Tony. Thanks for having me um, on the on the show. Um, it's um, it's a privilege to be um, to be here um, to share my knowledge and expertise um, with you and your listeners. Great stuff. I, I love it. So, uh, just a little bit about your work. In, in our conversation, at some point, I capture that you 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 work on smart cities projects and at the same time you work on responsible artificial intelligence where are you grounded at this moment um so currently i'm working on intersection of software engineering um ai smart cities and human values um i I think the main thing the title of these different subjects together um, in my area of work um is the it's my focus on human values so values like freedom, values like independence, curiosity, um, pleasure, tradition, um, to make sure all these different human values, these things that make us who we are, um, to make sure that these are presented in software systems, in smart cities, in AI systems, and um, also to make sure that um, these values are not violated um, in any way. Let's talk about your app. You, you developed an app with your colleagues. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so um, I have worked on um, on an app called um, AudioPin. Um, so AudioPin is actually a company. Um, it's, it's registered um, here in Melbourne, Australia. Um, so AudioPin is a startup company. Um, we develop um, voice-activated and cross-compatible um, audio note-taking apps. Um, so using our app, um, customers, um, people can record and transcribe audio snippets from podcasts. Um, say they are listening to an interesting podcast and I want to capture timely information from that podcast. Um, they can use our voice assistant, um, say, hey, audio pain, and um, capture um, that timely podcast um, snippet. And um, our app also transcribes and um, create bookmarks um, for um, for the end users. And, uh, yeah, what, what- Sorry, I was going to ask, how can one get access to them? Where, where are they at this moment? Um, yes, yeah, so our very first product, um, the podcast app called um, Audio Pain, it's available on both um, the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Um, interesting folk, folks can, um, can visit our website and our social media. Um, our website is audiopain.io. So A-U-D-I-O-P-I-N.io. And our Instagram handle is also audiopain.io. Part of our conversation, you speak about what you called, or uh, yeah, what you called responsible artificial intelligence. Why responsible? Yes, this, this is very thanks um, for that question and uh, that question, Tony. Um, this is a very important. Uh, it's a very important um, question, and um, we have AI tools that help us. You know that you know they they bring a lot of convenience to us. You know, self driving cars. Um, with things like Google Lens, we have all of these, um, all of these really um, interesting use cases for um, for AI tools and systems. Um, while these tools present a range of new functionality for business, for individuals, for society, the use of AI also raises ethical questions because, for better or worse, an AI system would reinforce what it has learned. Um, because this, like I said, these AI systems they are trained, they are trained on data. And so if there's bias in that data and the bias data is used to train the AI system, that means the bias from that data is being propagated through the AI system. Whatever prediction, whatever output that AI system is going to have, um, you're going to have the bias um, in there. We have this kind of issues um, because the algorithms that I talk about, which underpin many of the most advanced AI tools, think of any AI system um, that's out there in the world, they are only as smart as the data used in training. 
Because a human being selects what data it's used to train an AI, an AI program, if the person behind it is biased, there's a potential for that algorithm to have inherent bias. Um, think about criminal justice system that's, that depends on AI systems to, um, to, to meet out um, um, justice. Um, so if there are issues with the training sets, um, you can see that the kind of, you can see the, the, the kind of adverse effect it's going to have on people. You know, facial recognition systems failing to detect um, black people, African people, you know, um, AI systems that perpetuate gender stereotypes. There have been issues with AI system um, discriminating against women. Um, so all of these are real and, you know, and tangible um, negative effects that AI systems have on people. Um, so that's, that's the reason we, we have to think about ethical AI. We have to think about responsible AI. How do we develop AI uh, that supports people, you know, that caters to the values of people, that doesn't violate the values of people. Um, so that's just the reasoning behind uh, behind um, responsible or ethical AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, look, I think you've answered the, the question that many people have been grappling with on whether the future AI, as people would say, or the fourth industrial revolution, whether does it have, have a chance to perpetuate any racism or not? I think you've actually already covered that. And I remember in one of our conversations, I think it was you, where you actually drew me to the works of, is it Sophia Noble? You asked me a book about algorithms of oppressions, didn't you? I th yeah, there's um, there are lots of different um, books, algorithms of oppressions, there is um, the colonial theory, um, there are, yeah, there are lots of books um, that, that talk about, in fact, there's a weapons of math destruction. Mm -hmm. so the, the math, you know, it's a play on words, when you had the math, but it's not, it's math, M-A-T-H. Yeah, so talking about um, issues with, um, with maths and applications of, of AI systems. Yeah. So with responsible AI, who should be responsible and to who? Yeah. Yeah, for, for responsible AI, there, there are lots of different um, parties involved. Um, so you have people who... Um, who have visions, um, say within the context of the smart city now, um, say you have um, the local government council or you have a county um, council, you have people working there, you have other stakeholders involved. And then you have um, the software, develop, um, software developers, software companies, you have people who collect this data. And some of this data are legacy data that have been, you know, that have been collected maybe over the last couple of years. Um, all of these different stakeholders, um, are important, you know, when we talk about responsible, responsible AI. And also there's indirect stakeholders. Indirect stakeholders are people who have no idea whatsoever that such kind of system exists, but the system would have an effect on them, whether or not they are aware. Um, so there are actually um, principles, the, um, the Australian government, um, in collaboration with um, CSIRO, um, developed um, a set of eight principles. Um, we, we call them um, an ethical, the, um, the Australian ethical um, AI principles. And these AI principles um, are meant um, to support um, to support the work that's been done uh, in, in AI in, um, in Australia. In fact, one of the um, one of the one of the principles is the principle of um, of transparency and explainability. That principle actually says that there should be transparency and responsible disclosure, so people can understand when they are being significantly impacted by AI, and can find out when an AI system is engaging with them. And then something else it's um, it's contestability. When an AI system significantly impacts a person, a community, a group, or an environment. There should be a timely process to allow people to challenge the user outcomes of the AI system. And I think one of the um, one of the important principles that actually touch on this question is that of accountability. People responsible for the different phases of the AI system lifecycle, they should be identifiable. So that we, should, we should have a name and a face um, to those people responsible for, for AI system and hold them accountable for the outcomes of such systems. 
And there also should be human oversight of AI systems. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, they sound good. Um, but I guess here's the thing for me about most of the stuff and the promises that I feel like AI responsible AI gives to people, but at the same time, I've got a little bit of concerns about certain things here. Transparency, responsibility, contestability, accountability, many other things. Are they, is it easy to really achieve this considering that some of the key players in the irresponsible artificial intelligence, whether it is planned or it is not planned, but they're very powerful people with money who can persuade um, other politicians here and there whatsoever. And I mean, perhaps if you, if with this question, you can also think beyond just the borders of Australia, considering what we have seen, even in the case of, you know, the great hack, how we have seen how Zuckerberg uh, was called into account and account, you know, account for certain things. And it wasn't easy at some point to get access to him, you know, all those things. Is, is this really easily achievable? Um, so um, honestly, it's uh, we're still we're still um, I'll say a long way a long way off. Um, these are not trivial matters. Um, they are not um, they are not easy problems. Um, we're just beginning to think. Um, 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have um, the level of sophistication that we have now. We didn't have like the very powerful computers that we have to process you know the amounts of data that we have now. So these are the conversations that you know. We're beginning to have um, now that we that now that we've seen the potential for the kind of harm that AI systems um, um, can can have on, on society on people if they're not if if we don't have any checks and balances. Um, there is um, there was a conference that was held. Um, I don't remember the, the specific year now. Um, it's um, it's called the um, and then in that conference. Um, Many of the AI experts they came together and they came up with um, some principles called the Asiluma um, AI principles, and we have more than two thousand um, prominent people append their signature um, to those um, to those principles. We have big tech, big tech, Google, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon. Um, it's it's not um, it's not an easy it's not it's not an easy task. These these companies they have a lot of um, they have a lot of power, you know. The lobby, you know, they it's it's just last year we had the issue of um, of uh, we, we saw in the news of how Google fired one of their um, one of the leaders of their ethical um, AI team um, team mm -hmm. um, when she um, herself and her colleagues they wrote a paper on the potential neg negative effects of of very large language models and um, yeah the fallout from it you know was all over the news. And these are the same. These are the these are the corporations that have they have lots of money, you know. They have yeah. lots of money, um, but what we're, what we're beginning to see, governments everywhere, they're, they're beginning to see. They're beginning to see how, you know, how, and they're looking at ways to call these technology companies into um, um, to hold them accountable. Um, a, a very good example is the um, not so recent um, GDPR. Um, policy that was um, that was that was put in place in the um, in um, in the European Union um, in, in the EU. Um, so we're, we're beginning to take some steps, um, but we're not there yet. Um, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of uh, uh, we still have to you know to work on the frameworks, look at ways to actually implement the frameworks, and also to measure um, progress. Because uh, I, I think a very key part of what what we need to do. In terms of um, in terms of making sure that um, that there's transparency, there's accountability, is to actually have measures, you know, metrics, ways of standardization to actually say, okay, we're at point A, and we're heading to point C. How do we get there? How do we measure our progress? So I, I think um, um, important work has to be done in that uh, in that space of um, of measuring our progress. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean. 
so doc if you can just share with us um here many people would think this whole idea of the great hack this whole idea of social dilemma which is a netflix production they just political hogwash those things are non-existent you know those are just fiction so to say how and and now i'm thinking also as we're going to get into also the papers that you published the papers you shared with me how real are the issues that comes out from you know these social platforms how real are they and how would you persuade one to see and understand that this is not just fiction and i'm not talking about someone who persists on their ignorance but i'm talking about somebody who asks you know genuinely because they're not aware of how much impact do these social platforms and applications uh, mobile apps and whatnot have over their lives and just how they're also capable of stirring up political tensions or persuading people's values people's ways of thinking but also at the same time generate serving as a form of marketing where they can generate sort of sort of, sort of revenues for themselves by using marketing and you know the 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 potential lab rats being us as the consumers or the users of these platforms yeah, yeah thanks thanks for that anthony um you know that there's a, there's this particular um saying um that I, I i always like saying it if a product is free yeah most likely the product mm-hmm. yeah if right. it's free yeah right. the one that yeah the one that are being sold um these are these are these are practical issues these are not um, these are not imaginations of of people some of these stories that were documented in that uh, in that particular um show they 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 are real they are real issues um the way certain technologies are developed think of infinite scroll on your facebook on your facebook or your linkedin application you know you keep scrolling it never ends you keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling think of the like button the love button think of the the, the kind of validation you know the, there's these are not um, these are things that people actually sat down to think that how do we hack into into the psychology of of people so they are, and then talk about cookies sometimes you visit a particular website they put cookies on your browser and even when you close that website those cookies follow you everywhere else that you go online <laughs> what what are cookies if, if you can break that down for somebody I, i remember we had a conversation even about cookies and you were telling me that some of them are manipulable they they, they can be easily manipulated or rather um you can use certain options you can give them certain access uh, but some you cannot do that uh, what, what what are cookies Yeah so um so cookies are just these um these little identifiers um from a website um and they have uh, they have different uses um so one of the reasons you are able to um sometimes you log into a website you close your browser you open your browser again and you're still logged in um so it's a function of um you know of the of the cookies and some of these cookies they are used to track what you what you do online um you know the pages you visit um the kind of things you look out um look at the interactions that you have um so these are these little um this little digital um crumbs that follow you around on the uh, on the internet mm-hmm. some yeah some are useful um but many of them are just um uh, you know marketing and um you know and what not um, just to track you and to know what you're doing now when you're online so so that's surveillance basically exactly exactly that it, it is it is um, it is um, to put it that way um how can one manipulate or work their ways around cookies around that form of surveillance so they actually they are good um good um tools um there are few um there are few um browser plugins um that you can use to that you can use to to block um cookies in fact there are there are 
certain browsers um, that are built with privacy in mind. Um, so I think of DuckDuckGo. Um, I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of Brave um, browser. I'm even thinking of um, certain there are other browsers that are built um, with privacy in uh, with privacy in mind. Um, there are also plugins that you can use extensions. Um, in fact, I was using an extension back then called um, U Origin. Um, Apart, apart from these, you know, when, when you drop all of these little things on your, on your browser, it actually affects the speed, you know? Okay. Yeah. Oh. Because all, all of these things, uh, they, take, um, they, they take bandwidth. Yeah, so it, um, it, they, they, affect, they affect the speed. So you can use um, something like your origin um, to, to block um, ads and cookies and, and whatnot, or even look, look at um, browser like DuckDuckGo that that are built with privacy first. Um, mm -hmm. So when you say it affects speed, what do you mean? Like now your search engines are going to be quicker or, or what? Um, so say, for instance, if an ad, it's, um, you, you go to a web page, um, it's going to take, and you have an ad on that particular web page that you visited, the, app, the ad is going to be downloaded onto your browser. And that's also going to take you know, some bandwidth to download it you know, onto your browser. If you have like those little videos there, you know, those are also going to take, um, they're going to take some data, you know, going to take bandwidth as well. So all of but, these. Yeah. And, and, and for one who might say, cause I, I recently listened to someone who's, who made an appeal. I think it was a podcast in South Africa. And the guy said, uh, in the middle of our podcast, if you hear this ads or even like through YouTube, because sometimes YouTube will place it in it and they'll be like, please do not press next. Let the ad play throughout because that is how we sort of generate revenue through this form of marketization and whatever. Uh, so, so if one sort of manipulates the cookies, wouldn't one also another one consider that as the death of entrepreneurship because people eat out of those ads and you you just you know pushing them out of your way anyhow? So that that's a very that's a very interesting and that's a very interesting perspective. Um, you know, I I work um, within the within the space of human values and. Um, in one of the papers, we actually touched on that subject. One of the papers, I think, it's the paper. The paper titled um, "The First Attempt at um, um, the One." The paper we we did on um, on Android APIs. One of the yeah. solutions to fix values violations in Android APIs. Yeah. Um, one of the value violation, um, pleasure, you know, enjoyment, you know, having a good time is a value that certain people <laughs> hold, right? Yeah. And when a person downloads an app and the full page ad comes up and it's um, sometimes can be an, it can be an, maybe an inappropriate um, ad um, because many times you don't have control over what kind of ad shows up, you know, and a person sees that ad and maybe the ads, you know, it has music and can't even turn it off. That's going to be a violation of this other person's value, right? Okay. <laughs> yes. So, but this other person needs the ads, you know, because they yeah. need the app free, they need to generate some form of revenue. Um, hmm. One of the, one of the, one of, an interesting solution, it's one of the solution, um, it's a solution that has been, that has been developed by, um, by the Brave browser, where you can decide to support setting, um, setting web applications, you know, setting, um, website that you, that you find useful um that is yeah, useful to you you can donate you can donate to them or you can let brave show you specific ads from those particular websites to support the works of those people um that you care about as opposed to having a you know a blanketed um you know a blanket approach of banning all or align all um all ads and um within in the work that we do, um, we actually borrow the, the idea, the concepts of the theory of human values from psychology. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The most popular one is the Schwartz um, theory of basic human values. Um, in the Schwartz theory, um, you have values that are opposing to each other. 
And depending on the context, depending on how on your background, your social cultural background, that might actually affect um, how you view different values. And so oftentimes there might be conflict of values. And then it has to be some form of compromise, some, you know, some ways to work around those values, similar to what Brave, um, the Brave browser has done um, to support uh-huh. people um, with ads. Mm-hmm. Two papers. The one, a first step towards detecting values uh, violating defects in Android APIs, right? And the second paper, it's titled A First Look at Human Values Violation in App Reviews. This is 2021 publication. Can you speak about, pick any that you'd love to speak to um, us about in this particular moment in relation to the apps? Because I see both papers talk about, you know, apps that you, you and your team reviewed. In one of the papers, is about 22,119 uh, apps that you guys actually look through. But I, th- I think it's a broader study. But then at some point, there was sort of a, a reducing towards, is it 12 or 19 uh, particular ones that you focused on? But on the other paper, you're talking also about 10,000 apps that were actually um, under-reviewed. So which, which, which one do you want to sort of touch on first? Uh, so but I'll, I'll probably go with... Um the one that I published first before the other one, I'll go with the ICSI paper, um, a first look at human values violation in app reviews. Um, so the, the context, um, I'll just give a bit of, a bit of background um, yeah. on, that, uh, on that paper. There is this paper that was written in the, was in the 80s or in the 90s. The title of the paper is, Do Artifacts Have Politics? The argument in that paper is that technology, as we see it, when I say technology, I'm not, I'm not just referring to, to software systems, like technology, anything that we use um, to, improve, um, to improve our lives, um, that they are political in nature. That the way these, uh, they've been you know, oppo- opposing views, that the way Setting, um, setting tools, setting structures, setting technology um, were developed, uh, they hold setting, you know, setting politics, setting values. Uh, the, one of the examples that, um, that the author of that paper used, is he talked about um, a bridge or some sets of bridges in, 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 Lo- in Long Island in, uh, in New York, that the way the bridges were built, they were built in such a way uh, that will prevent black people and um, you know white people of um, of low social status from going to the beach. Wow. The 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 bridges were built um, to be very low, so only cars can can pass through the bridges. And usually, the poor people, you know, the African Americans, they go with the with the buses, and the buses are so high they can't go through. Those. So his argument is that just that kind of system was built deliberately. You can see that's like the beautiful bridge, but there's a politics behind it. There's a value behind it that we build in such a way that only wealthy people can go. Whether that is true or not, it's not, it's not really my point. It's the fact that technology can sometimes have, uh, can hold politics and hold certain values. I'll give you a more recent example, a more modern example. Think of, of Bitcoin and the blockchain. The value behind the of the value behind the Bitcoin and blockchain um, by the guy or the group of people called um, Satoshi Nakamoto is the value of self-direction. You know, mm-hmm. being independent from you know from central banks, from yeah. um, you know trusted third parties. You know, mm-hmm. and being able to do peer-to-peer transaction. So you can see that the technology itself, the blockchain, the Bitcoin technology, is not valueless. It holds a particular value of self-direction or being independent of these other people. Mm-hmm. So we came from that, from that thinking, and then there are other people who argue against that and say that um, technology is, is valueless, that uh, it depends on what you make of it, that it doesn't hold any value. So we came thinking through these things. We, we thought that um, you know, mobile phones are a convenience to us. 
We use apps, you know, for driving, for navigating, for banking, for entertainment. We do all sorts of things with our, with our mobile phones and our mobile apps. So we thought these apps might potentially hold values, right? And the people who use these apps, human, you know, humans, people, we also hold values. So potentially these apps that we use, they are supposed to uphold our values. They are supposed to support our values. If we are people who, you know, we, our value is that of freedom, independence, democracy, then the apps that we use should support these values. And uh, it's also possible that these apps can violate um, our human values. So one of the very first things we did is that um, the research in our, in our area, they've looked at mobile app reviews so the ratings and the comments left by app users on the Play Store and Apple App Store, they've used these as proxies for detecting the kind of issues that the end users would have, that people would have um, with those apps. So we said, okay, um, since there's research you know, on using these as proxy, then it's very likely that we can use these app reviews as a proxy for detecting the values of people. Um, so what we did, we collected um, some data, um, you know, because we're doing AI, you know, and AI systems, they're, you know, they're trained using, they're trained using data. So we collected some data and then a, a team um, within our group, we manually annotated the data, did some cross-validation, did some checking to make sure everything is, um, essentially we followed um, the, the scientific process to make sure everything is done correctly. Then after doing that, we build our classification algorithms so be able to detect potential values violations from the perspective of the end users. So um, we can take um, a corpus, or we can take what I mean by a corpus, we can just take like lots of texts and then pass those texts through our AI systems. Our AI system is able to flag, you know, that um, there's a violation of privacy, there's a violation of security, there's a violation of accessibility, of tradition, of independence, of freedom, of curiosity, of pleasure. Um, so that's what we, that's what we, that was, that, that was what we did um, with that, with that paper. So after doing that, we, we then applied um, the tools, the system that we built to um, over 20,000 apps to actually see um, the kind of violations, value violations that are there in those, uh, in those apps. And um, a quarter of the app reviews that went through our systems had values violations. Okay, before we get into that, um, the data you collected, can, can you speak about that? Which countries in, in particular, which countries were you focused on or you just picked up anywhere without considering which country uh, some of the narratives are coming from, especially the reviews, because one of the things in terms of value violation that I actually was struck was the fact that um, I, I didn't get to have a bit of a feel about certain religious or certain closely racial infringement into, you know, or, or whatever the case. And, and, and it kept me, it left me wondering uh, which reviews, where, where are these people from, the countries and whatnot? Was that not something you guys were interested on? Yeah, so it's absolutely something that we were interested in. Um, the reason is because um, people hold different values. Depending on where you are, you would have certain kind of values. Um, for me, um, for a person like me that, you know, that was born and raised in, uh, in Nigeria, um, we hold community, you know, being together, you know, community, um, you know, family. We're off. We're really family oriented. We hold that value um, highly. But then coming to the West, where things are a bit, um, people they're a bit on their own. Um, here they they prefer their own individualism and prefer doing their own things. They're not, um, you know, they're not as community focused like um, where I'm from in, in, uh, in Nigeria. So you can see the, the disparity, differences, differences between the values and just based on the, um, on the geography, right? Yeah, so it's, it's something that we 
that we did. We also talked about it in the, in the paper. Um, the kind of apps that we chose, we chose apps to cover not just the social uh, yeah, background, yeah. we also chose apps to cover age groups because what's it, you know, it 13 or 14 year old person um, considers important to them is something different to what a 45 year old person would consider. And then also, yeah. you know, we talk about these different factors, we call them human aspects, you know, age, gender, um, social cultural background, um, education level. We took all of these um, in, selecting, in selecting the apps that we, have, that we selected um, to make it um, more representative of the views um, and the values that we're trying to, to detect. So, um, would you say now that looking at what came out and what you just said, that depending on where one is, they may hold different values? Would would you how how would you now sum the conclusion in in these papers? Are they representative? Are they the voice of? Are they a representative voice of the world or this this is mainly people who could access the data and does it speak anything about also uh, uh, not as a variable you were interested in, but from your own sort of deeper anal analysis, does it speak to issues of poverty to say, okay, who are these people who have access to these platforms to be able to leave reviews and why aren't some variables not appearing? And could it be that those that are not appearing uh, may not just be an issue of value, but maybe an issue of, you know, access to, you know, economics or whatnot. They just do not have this particular apps. Therefore, when you speak, uh, the voice that comes out in your paper, who exactly are you projecting? Whose voices are you projecting out there or whose perspective of views are you projecting out there? Yes, yes, yes. That's um that that's um that's a very that's a very interesting um take, a very interesting perspective. Um for, for these uh, for this particular work, um we mainly focus on people who had access um to so they had access to you know for you to download an app to post a review, that means you've had you have access to a smartphone first, and then you also have access to the internet. Um but there's um within my within the space that I work, um I'm not the only one working. Um, working in my in my area. Um, so mm -hmm. One of my colleagues, um, she actually did something very interesting. In fact, she 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 did um, she did a work. Uh, I'm trying to remember the title of the work, um, but it's about um, getting the values. You know, understanding the values of female Bangladeshi farmers. And uh, for what she did to get those values that she actually conducted interviews in the native dialects of the, of the Bangladeshi female farmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the, because these people, might, they might not necessarily, um, so, some might have smartphones, others might not have smartphones, some might know English, others might not know English. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's part of what, um, she, what she did. Um, so it's, uh, it's actually a very, it's a, Software, human values in software engineering, it's a, is a, is a nascent field. It's still in its very early stages. Um, so part of what we're doing, it's actually the, like the very first piece of work in this, in this area. So there's a lot of work to, um, to do in this, uh, in this space. Yeah. Is there any particular reason why some of the apps in your, like apps in your papers are not sort of listed? Like, named as to which which app in particular um where these because i see somewhere you're actually trying to give a distinction uh between uh um let me just find it here because i've made notes apps with the lowest number of installations had more potential of value value uh violations and then you say and social apps had the highest rate of uh, value uh, values violation. What, what's what? What do you mean by social apps having the highest? But on the other, the first part of that, you're saying um, uh, app with the lowest number of installations. Because I was thinking that is it not possible that some of the social apps also could have a lower installation so what do you mean and is there any reason that the the, the apps it themselves are not sort of listed or quoted what, what are they 
Ah, yes. So that's the second paper. So that's actually, that comment is actually on the second, on um, the Android, uh, oh, yeah. Android one. Uh, yeah. So it's, um, we really can't, we, we really could not, um, we really could not, um, we can't say for certain that there's a, there's a, there's a causation. Um, but what we can see based on the data and based on, on our analysis is that there's a correlation between apps with low insulation and app with high values violations. So if, if an app, I download an app, for instance, and that particular app violates my value, the value of honesty or the value of transparency, there's every likelihood that I'm going to uninstall that app. And so if lots of people values are violated strongly enough, they're going to uninstall apps. So it's going to be one of the reasons those apps are going to have less, um, they're going to have um, less installation. Um, how, how do we come to that conclusion? Because I'm thinking, even at this particular moment, there's many people are familiar with the great hack. They, many people have seen how Cambridge Analytica actually persuaded people's views during political times, even how some of the people who worked with Cambridge or on Cambridge, um, is it Cambridge Analytica, yeah? Yeah, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, even, even, even how they pointed out on some form of political tensions they caused in several countries, even in Africa, several countries around the world and how they persuaded people's views even in voting patterns within politics. But nonetheless, not so many people actually bothered themselves to uninstall those apps, knowing very well that there's a, there's a possibility that me using Facebook, my views about certain political party or whatnot might actually be persuaded. Same thing can be done by Twitter. Same thing can be done, but much more Facebook and Twitter, which have got like greater characters to write on. Unlike perhaps what's happening on Instagram, because Instagram is mostly, you know, pictures and whatnot. How, how do we come to the conclusion that if I'm aware something can violate me, therefore I'm more likely to uninstall it? Yes. So that's just, um, so like I said, we, we really can't um, really can't say for sure the causation, but just the data, just from the data, we can see we can see the strong correlation um, between apps with um, lower installation and also um, high values um, um, violation. And typically, I think what we did with that one, it's um, it is not um, it is not a um, a direct the raw number. Um, there's this particular technique we um, we use. I'm just trying to I'm trying to remember the um, technical term for it. Um, where you don't you don't deal with the uh, you don't deal with the you just you just escape me now. <laughs> it's something I like I do you know regularly. Um, yeah, no, take your time, take your time. Yeah. yeah so it's it's um, uh, I can't I can't. Um, I can't remember, but it's a it's a particular it's a particular word that we use um, where we don't deal with the with the raw value. We we deal with the two variables um, relative to each other, as compared to using like the raw the raw values. But are we always accurate when we do that? Because I'm trying to think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm trying to think that you you you're talking about low installation, right? And I'm thinking low installation is not the same as uninstalling, especially in a case where you have an idea as to how many people had installed the app, yeah. right? Unless if you say between this time and that time, we observe that this app had this X number of installations, yeah. but after this time, therefore the numbers of uninstallation started to increase. And then we can say, we can work on the probability that people will realize that these apps are violating their human values, right? Yeah. But in this case, I'm trying to sort of get more persuaded to say, how, how can we come to the conclusion? So perhaps the question would be, the neglecting of the raw values that you're talking about, say we're not looking at the values, we're interested in the correlation. Yeah. Doesn't that sort of compromise the way in which then as a reader, I may have to be persuaded 
by the findings of your paper. So remember that for this particular for this particular paper, we're actually working with the app itself and not mm-hmm. the reviews. All right. So the, the, the first paper we talked about is the reviews. So the reviews are left there. But for this particular paper, the second one that was reading now, yeah, yeah. We're actually analyzing the source code of the app. So we're inside the app, you know, using our, our, our system, going through all of the functions, the methods, everything that software engineer wrote to, you know, to make that app, um, that app, you know, ready. And then from there, we compared um, the results that we got um, with statistics from two different um, app databases. Um, and apart from that, we also part, part of the result that we saw is that um, most of the apps with values violations, they're also correlated with um, the presence of viruses as well. So the ones with like lots of, especially security violations of value, um, they are correlated with um, they are correlated with um, with the presence of viruses. So these values violation now are not from the comments of the users, but rather that values violation based on what's happening inside the code. Okay. As opposed to like the user reviews where the people uh, where the people. People actually, you know, they comment and we analyze the, um, we analyze the reviews. Mm-hmm. But I thought both papers actually point out the fact that both the first one, uh, which is more about Android APIs, and also the, uh, I think which one Android APIs is the latest, isn't it? Yeah, that's the second one. Yeah, and then the first one also. Um, on value violation, both of them actually seem to have similar conclusions that people feel like their values have been violated. So, yes. so I was thinking, I was thinking that regardless of regardless of whether I was talking about paper one or paper two, but at least somewhere within the two papers, uh, something should tell us, you know, more than just saying we're working on the app in itself and not much more considering people's reviews and whatever the case. Um, so, so both of them, the papers it, with this particular conclusion that people feel like their values have been violated in this particular conclusion, you were mainly dealing with the app, not the reviews. Not the reviews. Can we speak to us then about, the reviews in particular, because I saw uh, the paper on the reviews had a number of great codes, you know, where some people speak about inability to find parking spots, you know, all those things. How, how, how then did you group the findings in terms of, because it seems like if one person is going to talk about I couldn't find a parking spot. And then another one talks about, I cannot give you my location. And then somebody else talk about something else. Yeah. It seems like those are kind of different cases. How do you group them to make them a conclusive uh, finding to say, this is, you know, uh, entertainment or this is, you know, art. So this is whatever ah, that yes. people feel like yes, they've been yes. violated. Yes, I think yeah. I, understand, I understand what you mean. Um, so for the two mm-hmm. papers, we did them um, quite um, differently. Um, so for the first one, what we did initially was to build um, to build something we called a values dictionary. So we took um, the trust theory of basic human values, right? The one from the one borrowed um, from social psychology. Um, we took those ones, and then a couple of the researchers with experience in human values and in software engineering, they've like they've done lots of lots of work. Um, in fact, they. Um, I would say they're the pioneers of the study of human values in, in software tools and software systems. They sat down and then they manually annotated. You know, the way we do it for the way we build data sets for, um, for AI systems. So manually um, annotated a data set and then created a dictionary of human values um, based on the trust theory of basic human values from psychology. Mm-hmm. And that dictionary was, um, was validated by, um, by other researchers. 
to make sure that everything is um, everything is accurate. So based on that, um, based on the dictionary that was built and the manually annotated data set that was curated, that was what we used to build the um, the algorithm or the system that does the classification. So the system looks, um, you take in the review, looks at the way the review is written. It says, um, a person says something like, oh, these people stole my data. They sold my data to ambulance chasers. Now I have spam callers. Then they will know that this has to do with um, privacy. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. They, or maybe the review says that the developers, they lied to me. They were supposed to do this, but refused to do this. Then you know that this is um, a violation of value of honesty. This is yeah, and 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 I think on honesty, I like because in in one in in the one of the papers, you especially the one with the reviews, you speak about how some people said um, an upgrade of an app from a trial to a premium. Yeah. You find that they're not notified, but already there's deductions within their, you know, bank balances and whatnot. Yeah. So, so that that would be categorized as the honesty yeah. aspect. Yeah, honesty. Trust. But how likely is that to happen? That does that happen very often? Yeah, that's that still that still happens. Uh-huh. It still happens. If you still go, you know, go on the uh, go to any of the apps. You know, we were recently doing a we doing a study um, which we just submitted to um, to a conference and. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, we, we actually built a taxonomy. We focused on the on a single human value. Instead of doing like lots of values, focus on a single human value. Um, and then we created a taxonomy. So this human value that we focused on is, um, is the value of honesty. Then we focused on that value of honesty and actually built a taxonomy of the different kinds of honesty validations, right? So if you go to the app, you still see those issues, you know, Every day, every day, yeah. no, it's yeah. still, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. The, the paper on Android APIs. Why Android in particular? Do you think if there was also going to be looked at Apple, the results would have been different? Yeah. So the reason we um, the reason we chose Android um, one of reason, one of the reasons is because Android is open source. Um, so it's easy for us to just um, to you know to go into the source, play around with it. You know, we have like complete access, free reign. You know, to look at it. To unlike um, Apple, which is a bit um, it's it's closed source. Um, we have documentations here and there, but it's um it's proprietary um, software compared to um, compared to Android, where we have um, we have everything available to us. Um, so it's it's one of the it's one of the reasons we uh, we chose um, we chose uh, we chose the Android. I would have loved to see though what would the findings on Apple look like, and and this is simply because with Android, Google Play, Google in itself, there's been like a lot of things that are actually been said um, about them, which appear to sort of been negative in a way. And one would question, is there any form of protection uh, towards Apple as to why are people, everybody sort of making, you know, this certain uh, accusations against Google, you know, is 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 being one of the biggest platforms to persuade people's thinking, you know, being used as a form of surveillance, uh, partly also working with the state to see what are people browsing day in, day out, you know, and also as just a, uh, a company that works with marketizers to actually, uh, you know, check what people consume and how what they can sell to people you know stuff that people watch on a daily basis i was i was somewhat interested in knowing you know whether there was sort of any other particular reason than just having free access into android and as to whether are you guys planning uh to also look at the same apps from apple because i'm thinking some of the apps like let's say we look at facebook or twitter or YouTube, whether you're on Android or on, or on Apple, ads are always going to be there. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so isn't this sort of pushing a certain 
bias over one than the other than looking at what are the multiple platforms because at the same time i think with with this comment that i'm making the underlying issue around it is also issues of economics that i wish for us not to downplay in a sense that apple is considered more expensive and and if we don't say nothing more about recklessness that might come with apple it might appear as if it is only the low class kind of people for those who believe that you know this this brands really speak about economics because i don't think i don't entirely think that somebody using an android basically means that you're of a so low social economic status or whatever yeah. but but they might persuade a certain form of thinking and a certain form of you know conclusions that people may make but there could be incorrect conclusions at the same time yeah. so so where is our responsibilities as researchers to sort of yeah so the, yeah so you're very correct um, we actually have plans on on working on on the apple side of it um, in fact so that's the reason you see in the title you see android right mm-hmm. a particular piece of work um but this is not just on human values this is on, on human aspect on human centric issues um um, we, we have the paper published, um, accepted to um, ICSI um, just two weeks, two or three weeks ago. Um, so for that particular work, um, we looked at not just Google Play Store, we also look at, looked at App Store as well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, okay. so depending on uh, sometimes you just take something, you know, work on it, finish it, and then move on to the next piece of work. Um, same thing that we did um, with the, so we did it for the honesty one, you know, submitted it, like did it like a proper, you know, went into on it, built a taxonomy, submitted it. And then we're doing the same thing for um, a sub of honesty, which is transparency. So we're zooming in on transparency, you know, try to work, you know, get proper insight into this. Do, do that um, because there's so much, like there's, there's a limit to how much you can put in a single, um, in an eight-page paper or a ten-page, um, a ten-page paper. Yeah, so it's um, it's always work, um, always work in progress. It's always future yeah, work yeah. and all of these things that um, we're still working. On. But there's there's one thing though that perhaps I could I could ask you this as maybe the last thing or second last thing that I found very fascinating. Uh, having spoken about you know Google and not just Google, different kinds of apps being used not just to persuade people's thinking, but also not just as a form of surveillance, but mainly as a form of marketing, you know, and rethinking data science, data mining, um, data mining in particular, um, rethinking how criticisms actually came guns blazing to Zuckerberg that he's selling out data to marketers and whatnot. This is a business model and all sorts of things. It made me reflect a little bit about your paper and perhaps your papers. Perhaps if you can share with us the ethical implications in the context of you writing a paper about people's values, right? Yeah. And surprisingly enough, you managed to source data, right? From apps that have been criticized to be exploiting people, right? <laughs> and you managed to source data from there, including people's reviews. And you wrote papers which they may have not benefited you guys monetarily, but sure they may have they sure they benefited universities. Um, and sure they're benefiting you guys in terms of employability because it goes into your research output or whatever the case. Can you speak to us in terms of then the ethical implications as to What's your thinking about this? We're critiquing something, but at the same time, we do something almost close to what our critique looks like. So trying to sort of use the tactics of the master or the master's tool to try to destroy the master or to point how the master is terrible. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I do get what you're what you saying. Um, is these... Um 
There's a computer scientist who wrote um, a paper many years ago, and um, right now he's, um, I, no one has really seen him in the last um, couple of years, um, but some of the things he wrote, um, they are beginning to, we're beginning to see the effect of those things he wrote, you know, toward the critical technical practice for, you know, for artificial intelligence system. Um, so some of those things, the surveillance and all of these, some of the negative things, he talked about these, you know, 20 odd years ago, right? One of the things he said is that um, something that we would need it's, um, is a critical technical practice of AI systems. But now I'm, I'm using critical technical practice of not just AI systems, but also of software systems. You see the way governments and then you have checks and balances, right? You have the executive, the judiciary, and the, and the legislature. Um, you know, you have the checks and balances to keep everybody in check. So what we as, um, as researchers do, um, we, we try to bring, you know, some sense of, um, some, to put in some rain, you know, to hold these people, you know, you know, to hold them to, to, to account to say, um, you can't, you can't do this, or you can't just do this and just you know, and get away with it. Um, large language models um, might have negative consequences for people, for um, for minority. Um, it's it's not really about it's not really about the it's not really about the money uh, because most people in in in, a, in in academia, especially in software engineering AI systems, I can one that I can assure you of is that if they leave academia. They're going to earn way more money. So they stay in academia for the love of research, for the love of, of, of pushing the frontier of, of science, of trying to make sure the, the tools and the, and the software systems that we build um, accommodates, you know, diverse, um, you know, diverse people. Yes, you know, you publish the paper, you get citations, um, and hopefully not just citations. Um, Hopefully the paper um, it gets implemented one way or the other, and you apply for grants, you get more grants from the government, and also you know from there you're able to get uh, more hands, maybe employ some PhD students, some postdocs. You know, it just it's it's honestly it's it's more. At least I can I can speak for those of us with the skill sets of software engineering AI. Uh, it's it's mostly for the love of research and not just um, and not money because uh, if you want money, um, academia is not the um, is not the place to. Yeah, but with the with the letter that you're making, still it still makes something yeah. dog. Come on, <laughs> I think. Yeah, because I can you, a first year, you know, first <laughs> software engineer in you know somewhere at Google or Facebook probably ends more than a professor has been yeah. there for. The professor of software engineering has been there for how many years? You know, been a professor for twenty years. Yeah, you know, I I like the language though, how you put it that academics are poor and you just put it in a more polar. <laughs> <laughs> um, Clint Bates, if you can close this for us in the context of responsible AI, part of us, I think, in one of in one of your responses, you said you know, part of the stakeholders they have the responsibility themselves. So for one who says it's your own fault, why did you click on it? Um, um, as opposed to saying, but it's the fault of the, of, of the tech guys, why did they make it accessible or why did they make it available? What would be your best way or your best advice to people who use apps, all forms of apps? What is it that they can watch out for? how should they deal with clickbaits? Because clickbaits is one of the th growing things that are actually taking place right now within the, you know, social media space. Yeah, so one of the, one of the, one of the first things I would say, it's um, if it's too good to be true, it looks, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. <laughs> okay. If you've never played, um, you've never played, you've never submitted a, um, you know, an application to, um, to a consulting firm, and then you're told that, oh, you just won $300,000 for something you never applied to. Um, yeah. <laughs> just leave don't, it. Don't do it. Don't right. do it. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some basic, um, some basic, um, 
um, cybersecurity tips that I would share and I would share with um, people. Um, one, it's um, don't click on links until you are sure of the source of those links. Never click on those links. And if you're doing any kind of transaction that would involve sensitive transfer of data or um, cards, you know, MasterCard or debit card, any kind of transaction, uh, if you're on the browser, you make sure that um, just before at the, the top of your, the address bar, you'll see a little padlock there. Mm-hmm. So a little padlock key, padlock, um, that shows that whatever communication it's being done by that particular website, it's encrypted. If you don't see it, you shouldn't put your credit card information, you shouldn't do any kind of sensitive information, you know, over this kind of, uh, over that kind of uh, network. Um, don't try not to, you know, try not to um, use the Wi-Fi in public spaces, in cafe, in airports. Um, even if you have to use, probably, you know, use a VPN or something. Yeah, because um, you expose yourself, you are... Um, become uh, become vulnerable wow that's been great having you i would have loved us to talk lo- a lot even getting into smart cities but i see also you're tired on the other side and it's it's late in melbourne probably you have to prepare also for the next day so i, I have to let you go so thank you listeners of the visions and tones this is dr humphrey Obie from Nigeria and he's currently in Melbourne as a researcher at uh, Monash University. I will put onto the bio of this episode all the links and the papers that we're discussing. Feel free to get hold of the uh, material and then you can um, uh, also get hold of me in case you need more information and also ways in how to get to Dr. Humphrey. But Dr. Humphrey is a busy person, so we don't want to just overwhelm him. But thanks for tuning in on the Visions and Tones podcast, and I wish you all the best. We are out.